Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Leslie Block and Zoe Bisbing both New York City-based adolescent eating disorder psychotherapists and mothers of two, here to help you help your children fully bloom. This episode is brought to you by the ABCs of Body Positive Parenting. Our signature virtual guides provide additional research and resources to help you put body positive parenting into action so you and your care providers can help your children fully bloom. To claim yours, please visit our website at fullbloomproject.com. Today we are speaking with Dr. Rebecca Kennedy, a clinical psychologist and parent coach with a private practice in New York City who provides education, support, and practical guidance for approaching the challenges of parenthood. She's also a fellow mother of three and one of my very favorite people to grab coffee with. As therapists, we are professionally trained to approach all of our clients with a non-judgmental stance, one that allows both our clients and ourselves to observe whatever is being shared with compassion, objectivity, and curiosity. This is one of the most important elements of creating a healing space, but it need not be reserved for the therapy office. We are thrilled to spend some time today honing our non-judgmental stance skills and integrating them into our body-positive parenting practices. Dr. Kennedy, welcome to the Full Bloom Project. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your expertise? Sure, yeah. Uh, So I am a clinical psychologist, uh, and during my training, I trained in both child and adult. Uh, psychology. And now I have a private practice where I act as a psychotherapist um, for kind of part of my work. And on the other side, I act as a parenting consultant and coach. As part of my training and kind of how to uh, best equip parents with tools to uh, use in their families, I have done training at the Yale Parenting Center and I'm trained in parent management training, uh, which uh, is an approach that helps parents really get uh, very kind of palpable skills to use in their in their home. Um, and then another big influence in my parenting work is just the fact that I'm a mom of three young children and kind of very, very much live uh, in a house that has a lot of dynamics at play. So I, I always kind of even think about that and say that whenever I'm working with a family that um, I kind of have two parts of my brain, a part of my brain kind of really feels like I know how to help parents and know uh, how to give them skills to use in their homes and use with their kids. And then another part of me uh, knows what it really feels like to kind of be on the ground with kids. And and I feel the need to say this to you guys. And I always say to parents I'm working with that as I'm talking about an approach that might be useful to them to use with their children, I myself feel like I generally use these things, I don't know, 15% of the time with my own kids. Because in the moment, uh, these things don't come to us or they're really, really hard to access. I'm glad you mentioned that, and uh, we thought you would be the perfect person to talk to us about 
this body positive parenting question, how can my judgmental stance benefit my kids? And non-judgmental stance, we want to hear what your take on that is. But I, I as just as you said that, I was thinking about how sometimes this stuff is so much easier <laughs> to talk about than to do in practice. So as we get into it, I just kind of wanted to put that out there that we're all sort of struggling with this stuff too. And I can just piggyback on that. I think about a family I'm working with and they always come in and they say, oh, I feel like we did this one time this week, but, you know, five times we didn't. And they look so deflated. And I, you know, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that's amazing. You're doing something of what we were talking about. Zero times you're doing one. That's that's a win, right? So that's a win, I think, for anyone. That's definitely a win for me in my own personal household. <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels, right? You know, I think with our clients and with our kids, we want to give them positive feedback on what they're doing well and kind of just focus on that. And it's it feels like, oh my gosh, percentage-wise, are we getting anywhere? But the truth is we are, and, and let's praise ourselves for what we are doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is a non-judgmental stance? It's a great question just to define it first because it, these are things we say. I think we... You know, I hear them a lot in my in the therapy room. Oh, I need to talk to someone who's not judgmental, or it's just so hard to talk about my friends, but I like coming to your office because it's non-judgmental. And what does that really mean? Um, and I, I guess to me, the thing that comes up for that that word non-judgmental is is a different word that's you know very related, which is just the word curiosity. To me, the essence of being a non-judgmental spouse and non-judgmental friend, and definitely a non-judgmental parent. Is something that feels more usable, which is how can I be really curious <laughs> or can I act in a way that demonstrates being really curious about my child's experience? And when we're curious about something, we allow for it. And if we're curious about something, I, I say this a lot, like if we are all scientists collecting, you know, data in, in some experiment we are doing, then all data is good data. We And if it looks different or if it doesn't fit our hypothesis, it's almost even more interesting data. And I think that's a really useful way of thinking about what our kids can bring home to us, especially if it's something that's emotionally intense, especially if it's something that is evocative for us. The idea of, right, if you have that even word in your mind, to me, having the word non-judgmental in your mind, even as a parent, like, I don't know what to do with that. But to me, having the word curious in my mind, when my son is angry at me or, or my daughter's having, you know, some meltdown, um, what, like, how can I be really curious about their experience? Number one, something's going on for them. They're obviously showing me that they're having some big experience. And if I took a little more distance and I was a scientist in some ways looking at this situation, and wanted to be super curious about it, I might think, wow, something really powerful is going on. I have a lot to learn. Um, and that, that's kind of how I think about a uh, non-judgmental stance. And what have you noticed is valuable about taking the curious approach? Why should our listeners really listen right now and be curious about curiosity? Great question. I think curiosity is so important because it's actually the only way we learn anything. It's the only way we learn anything. And when our kids come to us, or even if they don't come to us, but we kind of know they're brooding in their room or something's going on, there's probably a lot to learn. 
there's probably more that's going on that meets the eye, right? We see a tiny percentage of what's going on for our kids in terms of how they represent it externally, how they represent it with their words, how they represent it with their tone, how they represent it with their body language, or maybe, you know, with their bodies. Those are all things that I think about as outside a kid or external, or at least just on the surface, It's, you know, I think of an image of an iceberg where there's so much more that's going on underneath that on the one hand, we just want to know. To me, we just want to know the whole picture. But in a much more practical way, we need to really know what's going on to even help what's going on on the surface or to understand the big picture, to understand what's really happening for our kid is so crucial to be able to even help them in a very practical way, to kind of help them to regulate their emotions or their behavior on the surface or having a much deeper sense of what's going on actually leads to kids who speak more kindly to their parents or listen a little better. All these behaviors that we're so focused on, me included as a parent, the more we're curious and learn about what's really happening for a child, the more they feel validated and supported. And then in our family system, they tend to actually act better because all of their energy isn't focused kind of internally in managing a problem that they're alone with. Mm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you say all that and I'm thinking, yes, <laughs> I want to do that. And I'm thinking about certain moments that are maybe as a parent easier to do that than others, um, especially when we get kind of heated or we're having a strong reaction to our kid. And I know we'll kind of get to that a little later today, but if I'm a parent listening and I say, yeah, that sounds great, how do I adopt a non-judgmental stance, especially if it's not necessarily coming so intuitively? I'm so glad you kind of linked that to kind of something very practical and in some ways behavioral, because to me, that's the essence of the way I try to help people, especially parents who come to my practice, um, is that we want to understand what's going on. We want to really understand the theory behind things, but then I will never have anyone leave a session without knowing that they have concrete things to do. That's always my biggest pet peeve when I talk to someone is I leave thinking, that's awesome. Oh my God. And then I say, oh, I actually don't know how I can do this or act differently. One of the things that I've really come up with, with people I've worked with and in my parenting groups that I run and um, is kind of a really concrete three-step process to, as you said, doing non-judgmental stance, to doing curiosity, to doing relationship building, especially when our kids are really upset about something. So I can kind of walk, you guys walk the listeners through uh, what that sounds and looks like. And I should say before I get into it, that one of the things I find about my work that gives me such a rich perspective is I do both parenting work with parents and then I do therapy actually with adults. I act, you know, I don't actually see the young, young kids myself in my practice. I see adults. And one of the things that's been so helpful, I didn't even realize, I never realized this before I kind of got going, is that my work with adults has been some of the most useful experience to link to my parenting practice where I work with other adults, not the adults I see as kind of therapy clients. Because part of what happens in therapy with adults is we realize, oh, there there were things that went on in your childhood, you, you know, with very well-meaning parents that they kind of missed things or they didn't say things or they, they could have kind of helped a situation so much by kind of being present in a certain way. And then kind of a light bulb goes off in my brain. And I was like, oh my God, if I can 
bring this information to parents of young kids, it's like ultimate prevention. Like we know from adults reflecting and working in therapy, what we can give to parents now so that their kids have those things that, you know, some people never had. So that's kind of where this kind of all comes together. So I kind of will walk us, walk us through those three steps. So the three steps are really three lines to kind of commit to memory in order, but it, it probably doesn't even have to work that way uh, when our kid comes to us. Um, so the first kind of line is saying to your child, and I'll also model how the saying should happen because sometimes the how is just as important. It's maybe even more important than the exact content of the words, which is, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this. I say that again. I am so glad you're talking to me about this. So what's what's really powerful about that kind of opening <laughs> is kids need to hear from parents that their messy emotions, their vulnerable emotional experiences are part of the rules for engagement in the relationship with their parents. They really need to hear kind of us saying to them, this is the stuff I wanna hear about. This is the stuff I'm interested in. And if we think about this from a, like I do sometimes from an attachment perspective, um, this is the stuff that brings me closer to you. I wanna sit on the couch with you when you're talking about this. I wanna uh, lie next to you in bed when we're talking about this. When I hear this is going on, I become closer to you, like literally more proximal versus I become further away from you. Kids are evolutionarily predisposed to pay attention to attachment cues and attachments all about proximity. This state that I'm experiencing, this feeling I'm experiencing, this somatic experience, this internal experience I'm in, do these things inside me bring my parents or my attachment figures closer to me or do they push me further away? And that is massive implications. And we want our kids to feel like those experiences. And again, I'm talking about the internal experiences, not necessarily how it gets manifested on the outside. So not the rudeness, not necessarily the tantrum, not necessarily a, a hitting, but just the internal experiences. This brings me closer. And as soon as a kid hears something like, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this, they start to regulate internally because it's deep attachment language that lets them know that they're safe and connected to. It's saying to a kid, I'm someone who wants to know about this. I'm someone who wants to be in this experience with you. And kids start to calm down and secure that attachment relationship with you, which is what we want. I do want to just, I want to just jump in here and validate for a moment because, um, listeners don't know, but you and Zoe and I had a pre-conversation about this interview and, and you had walked us through those steps. And I've just been playing around with it with my daughters, just that first step. And it's truly been remarkable. Just really the idea of the attachment idea, you know, and I've studied this and heard it a million times, but something about the simplicity of it um, and really sitting and just saying, I'm so glad that you're telling me this and I want to hear more and I want to I want to attach to this part of you without saying that but in in the how as you said has definitely allowed them to share so much more with me than they were before and I want to just put that little anecdote in and say okay let's keep listening because that first one 
has already been very helpful for both of my daughters and me. That's such awesome feedback. And I feel like I also get to play around with so many of these things with my kids and have seen um, when I have the mindfulness and kind of the self-regulation to take a deep breath and kind of deliver a line like that to my kids, which again is like 15% of the time in my house, I watch their eyes kind of light up and their bodies calm down and um, them feeling much safer with me. So, and this, the second kind of part of this is something that was 100% from my work with adults that I thought about would be so powerful to start delivering this idea to kids where, you know, I find one of the biggest things adults struggle with in my practice is, is something around feeling like their feelings inside them are real, feeling like they're, a, I always say, a good feeler of their feelings. And so the second line was kind of derived from that work, which is saying to your kid, and again, I'll kind of model it, wow, you really know you're feeling that way. Or you really know you're feeling this way. Wow. Almost with awe. And this kind of line or this, these words are so powerful because to me, they're the essence of emotional validation. It's literally the opposite of something we all do. And I'm going to say we, meaning me included, which is either saying or delivering some version of, nah, that's not real. No, it's an overreaction. Or come on, you don't really feel that way. Or come on, it's just an extra cookie. Or come on, you're 10 and your brother's eight. Like, or you're 10 and your brother's four. And we, we do this all the time. We, meaning me included, we just invalidate their internal experiences. And again, I think this is the biggest thing adults struggle with is internally inside themselves having words to validate their internal experience. Now, what you do with that is a totally separate discussion. You can feel like you're really angry. It doesn't give you license to act in a rageful way or a disrespectful way. But actually regulation, real regulation for kids and adults comes from feeling like it's an okay thing to be feeling like you're feeling. You can't regulate an emotion without first telling yourself that it's okay to be feeling that emotion. And I want my kids, I want anyone I work with for their kids to internalize the idea, I really know I'm feeling this way. This is a true, real experience. And we as parents can help kids get there by telling them, you really know you're feeling this way. And I see parents all the time who even their presenting struggle is kind of my kid. I want them to feel more confident. I don't know why they don't feel confident. I want to give them self-confidence. How do I do that? To me, this is the essence of self-confidence. If you want to have one thing as a parent to say to your kids that will help them build confidence, it's saying to them, you really know you're feeling this way. And I'll model that a little bit more by, let's say, and we can, you know, I can have many examples of this, but a kid is saying, oh, like sometimes they just say like, I'm so upset that you took, you know, my sister for ice cream when I was at school and I, I miss that. I'm so upset. Or, I'm so mad. And it seems so simple. It's just, wow, you really know you're feeling mad. You really know you're feeling that way. And it connects so easily with the first, which is, I'm so glad you're telling me. I'm so glad you're talking to me about this. I'm so glad you're sharing this feeling to, with me. This is the exact stuff I want to hear about. And, you know, I wanted to jump in almost <laughs> the opposite of what Le Leslie said, because I'm sitting here feeling very sad that I didn't do this yesterday <laughs> with my son. But I, I'm just thinking about how, how tough this can be, right? Even as adults, like if they're, my son was saying, Mother's Day, this is not a special day. Like he wouldn't come with me to, to, to pick something up for Mother's Day. 
And I was like offended. And he's not even five. And I was upset. I mean, I was sort of frustrated about other things that had been going on too. But I see how I did miss an opportunity to get curious about what he was trying to communicate. I'm pausing to shine light on this experience. One, to say, I think we're all so human and we're all going to fail at this, I suppose. I'm trying to make myself feel better. Um, But I think also I'm seeing how, oh, I'm now kind of retrospectively, I'm so curious about what was he trying to say? And he was trying to talk to me. And I did miss an opportunity to say, I'm so glad you're telling me this. And I also missed an opportunity to say, you really know how you feel. Because he was upset about having to come pick up a cake with me. And like, again, you know, I, I thought he was sort of being a pain in the butt. But yeah, I missed that opportunity. And I, I'm just putting that out there <laughs> that I missed it. And again, we all, I think if we all focus on the opportunities we miss, even the three of us here talking, we're going to, you know, feel horrible about ourselves. And, you know, that's, that's not the goal, right? These are, to me, these are tools to try to use really Sometimes, 15% of the time, 1% of the time, 0.05%. And I think also as a parent and any, anyone who's a parent, especially of kids who start to like talk back, there's, there's kind of two general categories of emotional experiences I think kids have. There are experiences where they're feeling a lot about people other than you. And there's experiences where they're feeling a lot about you directly or something that's super evocative to you. That second category, if this is all kind of new stuff to a listener, the second category is, to me is just, it's okay for now to be like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not holding myself to that category, right? I think we have feelings about everything our kids says, you know, even if it's about another kid. But I think at least for me, I have the most feelings. It's hardest to contend with something that is directly about me, my kid being mad at me, my kid not wanting to celebrate my Mother's Day. That's a little different than hearing my kid talk about, being mad at someone who left them out in a playground. I can be a little more regulated, I think, to access some of this stuff, you know, in those experiences than with myself. And so I think it's okay as a parent to say, look, that's the hardest stuff. <laughs> and even in these, this kind of these three steps, yeah, like maybe I could hold myself one time this week to find a time to kind of try this out. When my kid is talking about a teacher, a, a soccer class, another kid at school, something that's not me. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Thanks for putting that in there because I think it much it makes it much easier to just to just experiment with and get curious about about this process. And the other thing that I love about these lines is that they work like just as well retrospectively, right? So I I say this a lot to parents I work with that you can't expect yourself to tr- to use new skills in the heat of the moment if you don't try them out retrospectively to redo something that happened the day before or even the week before. Parents are often fearful of doing this because they kind of are like, oh, the moment passed. I don't, I think, I don't even, I don't want to bring it up again. My kid might get upset again. Um, I totally understand that idea. I just happen to think it it doesn't actually resonate with a kid's experience because if a kid has an experience that doesn't feel good to them, even if they do look like they've forgotten about it, it still lives in their body. As, a, as an isolated experience, meaning isolated like they're alone. And by going back, right, and I'll model how I would do this, we then put ourselves back in there with them. And not only is that something maybe we say, oh, yeah, I wish I did that in the first place, but doing that after the fact 
does put us there and it adds something that I think is so beautiful to a kid, which is the idea of real repair. Like, oh, I can expect people around me to reflect on things that happen and come back to me and repair something that they, you know, uh, didn't think went the right way. So in that case, Zoe, like, you know, I'll speak to you directly. Like what a, what an even more powerful experience say, Hey, I was thinking about yesterday and you know, I was thinking it was Mother's Day and, and I had expectations, maybe you did and you didn't want to go with me. And, you know, I kind of wish I had just said to you that I really understood that you were upset. And I kind of wish I had said, yeah, you know, you really don't want to go to, you know, that place here to the bakery with me. And then I would kind of try to adopt humor and maybe laugh and say, you know, we still would have had to go. Like we would have had to do that. You know, sometimes we all have to do things we don't want to do, but I just want to let you know, I've been thinking about it and wish that I, you know, would ask you a little bit more or just let you know that I really understood that that's something you didn't want. I just wanted to let you know, I've been thinking about that and wanted to let you know, right? And and any kid or any adult receiving a message like that would be like, wow, that, that felt really good. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. I'm totally doing that later. And tell us now step three, because I want to do that too. So step three is in some ways the simplest one. It's really saying, tell me more tell me more. And I, I say to parents I work with, and then you tell me more to death. You just keep saying it over and over and over. I think any of these lines you can repeat over and over, <laughs> but really tell me more is just the only way that's that in the first step, you've kind of really made that attachment feel really secure. In that second step, you let your kid know that their internal experiences are real inside of them. That's kind of the essence of self-confidence and validation. And now you've set the stage for both of you to be super curious. Your child knows it's safe. They become a little more regulated. Your child feels like that experience inside them is a real experience. And now you, you can learn. So I say, tell me more about it. Tell me more. And then what happened? Those are two kind of phrases I try to use a lot. Tell me, and then what happened? Oh my God, and what after that? And then what? And I can, you know, kind of model with some examples, putting these three together and how, of course, it's not magic. It's not like, you know, you can, you know, have one specific, you know, ending, but you tend to keep learning and getting more information from your child until there's not much more to say. So this to me in general is the opposite of something that we usually do with our kids. We, again, me included, which is we tell them things. I always think ask more, tell less. That's something I say to parents I work with all the time. Ask more, tell less. And there'll be something that happens and the parent will look at me and say, and I did. I asked more and I told less. Right. When we tell, we shut down an experience because we usually shut it down with our own interpretation or our own experience. And when we ask we're really curious and we learn more about our child's experience, which is probably something they came to us for. Usually when kids really want your opinion, they just ask. It's very unambiguous. What should I have done? Or can you help me with this? Or what would you have done? Or how would you have handled that? Right? And sometimes kids do that. But usually when they come to us, <laughs> we respond that way. I think it gives us a sense of control. Um, but it's usually not what they're looking for. So let's um let's think about this for a minute in terms of the relationship to a non-judgmental stance to cultivating body positivity in our kids. And how is that relationship formed? What is the relationship there? How does it help body positivity? Body positivity to me <laughs> really comes from feeling good 
inside your body, not necessarily feeling good about your body. And any about experience is something that's like outside, right? So I think it's not just looking in the mirror and saying, I like the size of my legs or I think I have a pretty smile, right? I don't think, or, you know, our actual physical body is represented when we look at it. But to me, body positivity is about feeling good inside yourself. And the things that make up our insides are our feelings, our thoughts, our urges, our motivations, our somatic experiences, right? Like the things that our body, like, oh, I have butterflies in my stomach. And to me, this whole process, you know, using these ideas and these lines, even as a parent, is helping our kids feel like the things inside them are attachable and lovable. That's step one. Are real and valid. That's step two. And are things to look at and wonder about and be curious about. And I think kids who then obviously become adults who generally approach the things inside their body in that way, (laughs) they have body positivity. They generally have like self-positivity as well. They feel pretty loving and accepting of themselves. Yeah. And are reaching less for what we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, this sense of kind of what is what does society tell me is valuable, like the thin ideal, um, which is where our kids tend to get into trouble around body image and potentially eating disorders. But this kind of allows a kid to feel that they don't need to reach towards that because there's that internal sense of comfort and confidence. Yeah. And, and look, I'm a, I'm a realist too. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a panacea. We all, you know, look in the mirror, we all notice other people's bodies and of course it impacts us, but it's a really, it's a really strong anchor. And one thing I, I was thinking too, you know, we have talked on the podcast, we've talked more about risk factors around appearance ideals as being kind of something to pay attention to for body positive parents. But what I think is really nice about our conversation today and talking about the inner world and helping cultivate a strong, connected, internal experience for your child or in your child, it's bringing to mind how in our eating disorder practices, right, when we work with adults, Sometimes it's less about a drive for the thin ideal or it's that, but it's also paired with using body modification or, you know, playing around with your food, restrictive eating to numb out feeling and to move away from the internal world of of, of someone, right? Like to kind of manipulate feelings or to sort of block them out. You know, I'm just, I'm thinking about how this is really our first... Well, I guess maybe I'd like to hear you talk about it uh, because my instinct is that the non-judgmental stance that we can take as parents, when, even if it's just 15% of the time, that we're offering our children something pretty foundational that then could also help protect them from having to go outside of their body or into the body to deal or not deal with their internal world. What do you, what do you, could you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, uh, that really resonates everything that you just said. 
that we all can get so lost in everything. You know, this is another thing I think about this binary of the things outside us and outside of us and inside of us. That's actually something I try to talk to my own kids a lot about <laughs> in general, right? Oh, um, a grade on a test is outside of you. And you know, how hard you studied is inside of you. And we're a family who really cares about inside things. It's just, it's really the only anchor kids can have. Um, to not be fully swept away. Uh, you always are going to get a big wave into the external outside of you world, of which the thin ideal, of course, is a, is a major part of that. <laughs> but having an internal anchor, having a family also, so it's not just you, right? You need a family around you as kids who kind of anchors you and is curious about everything inside of you and allows for that. Yes, is, is definitely a foundation. So I, I think that that's exactly right. And I think that parents with seriously with these three lines can really bring some of that into their home. And I encourage parents I work with to practice them in front of a mirror. I know that sounds so awkward, but you know, there's a lot of people where this doesn't come naturally. And and that's not something I always tell parents, you don't have to feel bad about that. If it doesn't come naturally to you as a parent, there's one maybe not one, but there's one reason that probably is the case. It's probably because your own parents, who I also think were, I'm sure, doing the best they could, didn't talk this way to you, right? The the self-talk we have inside of us, what comes naturally to us, is talk that was given to us. And so if it doesn't come naturally, it, you know, it's, it's not an ethical issue. It's just a way of saying, okay, I have to work a little harder about this. And Uh, You know, the things that we say to our kids are things that kids, when they become adults, say to themselves. And if I go through these three lines again, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this. You really know you're feeling this way. And tell me more, tell me more. And then what? If I think about how this gets internalized when kids become, you know, older and adults, it sounds like I'm so glad I'm noticing this. Right? That's the essence of mindfulness for someone. Wow, I'm really noticing I'm upset. I'm really noticing I'm mad. I'm really noticing I want something that I don't have. And then <laughs> to say to yourself after that, I really know I'm feeling that way. I really know. I really know I'm mad. Uh, yep, definitely true. And then the tell me more becomes, huh, I wonder what this is about for me. I think anyone who's a therapist, <laughs> like that's the essence of what we try to cultivate in our patients, right, is their own curiosity about themselves. Huh, I got really, really mad when that person didn't hold the door for me. It was rude, but I got really mad. I wonder what that was about for me. Huh, when I got home, when I get home from work, I'm really snippy with my partner and my kids. And then like the whole night goes off. I wonder what that's about for me work and the transition home. I must bring something up. I don't know. Right. So these lines to our kids become things that they can say to themselves. And going back to what you said, Zoe, that's so foundational. That is so foundational for the rest of their life. So shall we ask the million dollar question? So if each parent listening to this podcast took away and did one thing on the regular, what's the one thing they should do? So uh, maybe this, you know, at this point seems obvious, but I think that these three lines are something that every parent can do. You know, they're actually very short, which is often the opposite of telling our kids when we lecture, right? They're very short because the essence is try to get more 
from our kids and hear more and be closer to them. So I'm just, I'll, I'll kind of say them again. And I would urge parents to literally write these down somewhere, to have it on a post-it, to put it on their phone. I know for me, when I'm trying to do this during a busy day, I'll literally set a reminder on my phone. It just says three lines. I've committed them to memory because... You know, I talk about them a lot, but for someone else, it might say three lines, check your draft folder and you read them at 5 p.m. on your commute home or 8 p.m. or whatever it is. So they are, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this. You really know you're feeling this way. You really know you're feeling mad. You really know you're feeling sad and tell me more or, and then what happened? Well, we will make sure that we have that available for people to um, remember and download and get connected to in multiple ways. Absolutely. Uh, And I'm curious just before we let you go, because this was so (laughs) enlightening and I'm definitely going to write those down in my phone and text them to my husband (laughs) after we hang up. But I'm curious if anyone listening is like, who is this Dr. Rebecca Kennedy? I want to do parent coaching work with her? Is there a place they can find you? Do you do coaching work with people outside of New York City? Sure. Yes. Um, So uh, I have a private practice in New York City, but a lot of parent coaching um, is done through Skype or FaceTime. Um, And I do. I work with families um, all over, you know, all over the country, in, in different countries, right? This is one of the best, best things about living now. So the best way to reach me um, is probably on my website, which is just uh, com, or my email, which is RebeccaKennedyPhD at gmail.com. Um, so I'd love to hear from any listeners who want to learn more, want to figure out how to more specifically apply this in their own families and their own unique children, um, or just to kind of continue this conversation in a more personalized way. Well, thank you so much for coming to contribute to our project and the podcast. And we really look forward to hearing from our listeners about their experience with these questions. Well, thank you, Leslie and Zoe. It's such an awesome thing you guys are doing. Um, so thank you for having me. So, Leslie. What questions do you think our body positive parents may be having right now? How will my kids respond to me trying to talk, you know, trying to take the recommendations from this podcast? Like, how am I going to say this? How am I going to say, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this? And how are they going to react? I think parents might be wondering or maybe thinking ahead, like, oh, how will my daughter react when I say, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this? Or, wow, you know you're really feeling that way. And how am I going to remember those three things? That's what I'm asking myself. (laughs) I know they seem simple, but I think I need to, like, write them down in my phone as a reminder, like, on every day, Mm -hmm. just, just to get used to it, because I don't know if I'm doing it or not. Yeah. I'm thinking, too, that we brought Dr. Kennedy on and we want to educate about the non-judgmental stance in a very much like for prevention, right, to kind of create 
a foundation, like everything she just said, so that we have a way of relating to our kids that helps them get to know their inner worlds so that they have a sense of who they are later in life and kind of to help them navigate all the complexities of growing up and being a human. But also I'm thinking about how we might apply this script to, let's say our kid comes home and says something like, I feel so fat or I hate my body. I'm wondering if we could apply this to that as well. Absolutely. I mean, just think about that comment. You know, I feel so fat today. I mean, I don't even know if a kid says, we'll say that, but I imagine that some version of that might come out in some way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, first we have to really say, before we try to solve it, I'm so glad you're telling me this. Right. And you know you really feel that way. And then the tell me more, because I think the tell me more piece, we got to get them to that place. We risk losing them yeah. by just going there first, you know? I do. And I'm thinking too about how just that, oh, I feel so fat or I think I'm so fat. I hate my body. Like, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we hear that certainly in our offices. And I do think parents hear it too. And it is very intuitive to say, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. not fat. Mm-hmm. Which is one kind of... Invalidating. validating of the experience, but also, no, you're not fat. I mean, there's weight stigma kind of baked into that sentence. A hundred percent. So because of both of those things, right, I'm so glad you're talking to me about this, is so opening and saying, no, you're not. Or don't say that, don't feel that way. I mean, those are such loving things that we might say. It closes the conversation down. I think we don't want to move to the solve right away, right? right? I think that that's the best place to move in to kind of bring in all the body positive parenting skill reinforcements that have you've already listened to on this podcast that we've already talked about. Right. That's the moment that you can move in with those, potentially any one of those things, right? Totally. I mean, in so many ways, this is a foundation for an alternative path of conversation that doesn't include your kid coming home and saying, I feel so fat, or I think I'm so fat. And then you saying, no, you are not. Or saying, okay, well, let's go to the dietitian. Let's go find a nutritionist and help you lose some weight. Right. Or not even say that. I think in that solution, we, we step too far ahead mm-hmm. of just really hearing our kids. We have an opportunity to just really hear our kids first. And likely as, you know, we've learned from the thin ideal episode and weight stigma, likely you're going to get that, the thin ideal and the weight stigma. And that's where we really start working on reinforcing like the family values of all bodies fit mm-hmm. and size diversity yeah. and inclusion. And just hearing what what the challenges our kids are really facing is it is it social you know what is it that is happening in this moment and that's kind of where that word curiosity mm-hmm. takes us so far i hope that you know our listeners find that helpful i'm i'm really thinking about this kind of what is the question of this podcast that we're really trying to answer, what does my non-judgmental stance offer my child? And I think it's like, it's an entry point in. 
if there is some of the kind of core foundational anti-body positivity sentiments sentiments there it allows us to to see them identify them and help explore them with our kids Mm -hmm. and even more foundationally as i think dr kennedy was talking about being clear with your kids that we're an inside family we're interested in what's going on on the inside and we could interpret that as like we care about who people are from the inside not so much the outside right which kind of brings in appearance But what I really heard her saying is we value and care about your inner experience. She reminded me that what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. What we're seeing in our kids, if we're talking about younger kids that might be tantruming or screaming or behaving in a way that's not uh, cooperative, that we're only seeing a piece of their experience. If what we really want is to get to know who they are and what they're really trying to communicate at all ages that non-judgmental stance leading with curiosity it is like you said it's the entry point and perhaps the only way in yeah I mean it's reminding me of episode 13 of the values episode right you know, and how I feel like they're aligned in that way and that that is at the core you know episode 13 is how do I foster core values that promote body positivity and I feel that this is like a another version of of that, you know, really starting from the foundation of our kids being Mm -hmm. and teaching them that we want to be talking to that. And we want to be close to that. We want to be close to the parts of them that are messy and are wild and unhinged or, you know, like unkempt, like not just those are important parts of them too. And we can, we can as parents love and attach to those. Yes. Yeah. This was a great episode. Yes, I I agree. And I I hope to have more where we can bring in more kind of parenting experts and professionals that are less connected to the, you know, eating disorder prevention world, but really are doing prevention work and just helping parents help their children fully bloom, right? It's not just food and movement and body image. It's also self Yes, let's leave it there. So if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review on iTunes and visit us on Instagram and perhaps most importantly, join our mailing list, um, which you can get to by going to our website, fullbloomproject.com, where we uh, dive a little bit deeper and offer some more focused help. Definitely. And in joining the mailing list, you'll be among the first to know about new offerings and exciting things coming down the pike at the Full Bloom Project. And tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom.